Hello and welcome, comrades, to the Pierced Poets Party podcast. I am your platonic life partner, Walsh, and I'm in the same boat as you today because I'm not 100% sure what we're going to be talking about. Um, I have an idea, but uh, let's just get right into it and toss it over to your local thinner of the herd and venerable host of the Pierce Poets Party and dive in the deep end together. Howdy comrades, thanks as always for joining us. Today I am just putting a little conversational question on the table and I'll just throw that question out to begin with. Is the omnipresence of music today a positive thing. We'll just put it as vaguely and generally as that. And the context I'll give is a, a white paper article that came out, I believe back in, yes, in, in 2017, uh, titled Drawing Listener Attention in Popular Music, Testing Five Musical Features Arising from the Theory of Attention Economy. The long and short of it is, you know, with the supply and demand of music and its availability and the availability of entertainment. Um, the study just kind of going through different musical features and assessing whether or not uh, the availability and again, omnipresence of music has affected the way that we're producing music at all. And since this article, uh, there's been a few kind of similar and follow-up studies and the general conclusions have been that yes, songs are shortening a bit, uh, hooks are tightening, things are getting more repetitive, uh, language is kind of more self-facing, easily mirrored, etc. So there's kind of a generic wave kind of falling over music that makes it a little bit more accessible and uh, certainly easier to garner more streams, things like that. So that's that's the general theory, but it kind of made me think of how truly, again, I'll use the word one more time, omnipresent that a music is. So my personal context after reading this article and articles like it uh, was just thinking about how there's no barrier, right, between you and whatever song you want to hear right now. Like You don't have to go put it, you know, you don't have to go buy anything, you don't have to order anything, you don't have to put it on a you know gramophone, you don't put it on a record player necessarily unless you really want it to. Uh, you don't have to call into a radio station. You can just look up any song from any era at any time, and you can even play just a select part of it with just like you know a click. Uh, there's that, and then there's you know having just music in the background at all times. You can have headphones in, no matter where you are at all times. It's playing in your car at all times. It's in every grocery store and every elevator. Uh, it's just kind of kind of everywhere. So before I go any deeper, just want to hear some initial reactions from Walsh and uh, see what you think about this idea. Okay, so where my mind initially went to is the mid 2000s, like mid 2000s to late 2000s rap. So a lot, like I've <clears throat> read things that kind of call it ringtone rap, 
And that was due to the popularity of, you know, setting a song as your ringtone. Yeah. So what um, producers did, what production companies did rather, is they kind of told their artists that they wanted to design their songs in such a way that they could get that snippet mm. and then they would get money off of selling ringtones instead mm. of album sales because I think early on they kind of saw the way that the internet and mobile phones having the capacity to play music was kind of going to change the game and it was kind of kind of change the industry so um i think that that's a big part of it is with technology you kind of the people running the show are always trying trying to find new ways of introducing music to everyday life and giving people more ways to consume the product provided you can monetize it in yeah. some way i mean if if we're talking about like elevator music or music being played in stores i mean that that started in as soon as radios came out that was like in the 1920s there was a company um oh, i forget the name of the company but there there became companies designed to you know, create music for elevator music like the when you say elevator music you have that thought in your head of what it is like that was a company that made that sound they made that sound they brought in orchestras or whatever and they had that specifically designed to play in an elevator and then now it's kind of developed to you know popular radio hits are played in stores or um yeah and in any kind of setting where it used to be kind of specifically designed for that. And I think, I don't know exactly why that changed, but um, maybe it was a rights issue that, you know, companies that had rights to popular artists were able to enter that space. Um, but yeah, that's kind of just thinking of the development of music along with technology and how the record companies want to put it in every space as possible yeah you definitely I, th I think it i mean obviously there's always been popular kinds of music but i think towards the actual question of if this is a positive thing you know on certainly on the con side we have this continuous commodification you know if you're going to become you know monetarily successful as an artist, it's more than likely that you're going to need one of these labels that's going to push you towards this kind of ringtone rapper. You know, now it might be you know TikTok clip ability, you know, video ability, whatever it may be. Um, so that one, there's that commodification, uh, but two, I want to call it like reproducibility, like the ability for for a song to be to be covered or or taken in I guess a lot of these different video formats like how much artistic agency is every any given artist allowed when there's these kind of earworm parameters on it because it needs to be so frequent and when I say that I feel like this influence pop music it's because the songs are able to be played so you know 
everywhere so frequently and with such fervor, I feel like that further pushes fringe and extreme music like outside of the norm because you're never gonna get, you know, an elevator playing slam music or even mm-hmm. pop punk music unless it was a, a very edgy manager of some kind. You know, it kind of centralizes the uh, the musical zeitgeist a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, everything that's popular is developed by a team, a, mm-hmm. a team of people. It's a it's a concerted effort to make something popular. Popularity isn't really decided by the consumer. It is to some extent, but um, it's really what's being presented um, to be digested. And then, you know, the populace reacts to what they're being presented and then they decide what's popular from that. But it all begins with these teams of people creating something to be consumed. So I'm like, my brain's kind of going to odd places. I just thought of um, the Macarena. (laughs) So the Macarena was initially, it was just a a Mexican duo that made a song about a woman. And then this um, like techno dance. Was the woman named Macarena? Her name was Macarena, yeah. Interesting. so they got this like techno dance music making producers i think i think it was a duo and then they got a feature a woman on the song and they remixed it to make it a dance song Hmm. and then it became the most popular song ever legitimately like no song has ever been bigger culturally than the macarena and it's because like you can say that the original intent of it was one artistic vision for it, but then it became something else through other artists having their own vision of it and then creating a dance toward it. And then people kept pushing that and they were doing it at every baseball game at every growing up, you and I, we were that age where growing up at every party, every, uh, you know, bar mitzvah or whatever that we went to, the Macarena was there. And that's because I think it captured that mass appeal that your grandma could do it, your dad could do it, you could do it. So I think that's kind of what it's, it's a a certain level of throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks. So with there being so many avenues to release music and push music and make it listenable and viewable and consumable, there's just a higher level of throwing it against the wall. The wall has become bigger and there's more being thrown at it to see what sticks. So in, in a way, there is a positive side for sure yeah. because there's, there is so much being produced and there's you're able to bring an actual you know team of artists in even if they're trying to create something culturally significant uh you know whether it's for money or for themselves uh and there's of course these these low barriers of entry with you know Bandcamp and soundcloud and that kind of thing um but is that i i feel like you can't say with certainty that it's affecting 
music itself, I mean, again, that's exactly what the studies are saying, that it's affecting popular music, but is the fact that it's affecting popular music uh, and making it kind of standardized and, and easily consumable, does that just invigorate the fringes even more, like by proximity? Like you're, you're giving more people space to, to create outside of those immediately standardized parameters but again, it comes back to the economic issue, right? Like people will have the space to at least, you know, start something potentially. Of course, there are still barriers to, you know, creating the best possible product. But I feel like most people uh, can, you know, find a, a recording software, even just use their phones and figure something out with, you know, just a little bit of YouTubing. Um, but to actually market something and and make a, a lifestyle out of something where you can be practicing and creating music for a long period of time and honing in your craft it's it's hard i imagine to do that without the commodification and the simplification and i also don't want to on the con side you know forget that it's just annoying like how <laughs> commonly and frequently songs are overplayed like how many songs do we just get sick of even though you and i don't really listen to the radio right now yeah i think going back to earlier i think there's an equal and opposite reaction um in terms of putting out music like yes more music is put out that's designed to be you know commodified and um you know without i don't, I don't want to take away any credit of artistry obviously because, you know, no matter what you put out and for whatever reason, it, it is a form of art. Yeah, um, someone's going to like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's being put out to be liked. And obviously, if people like it, then it's, you know, valid. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it with it's kind of that the people with all the money and the influence are kind of opening the doors or breaking down the walls mm. and then people who don't have those kind of resources and have maybe a different message and a different way they want to do things are just kind of, you know, walking in behind. Um, so it does clear a path for that, but yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly how big the gap is at this point because it's all dependent on, you know, what an individual is, doing in the creative process and how they're choosing to put it out, I think ultimately it's better for artists and creators generally to have a voice. Even if it's not an amplified voice, it's a voice that can be found. Now, with regards to the market being oversaturated, or me, music being overplayed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of... Like, do you agree with the sentiment that a band that creates an album that sounds like the last album is doing a bad job? Like, no. I think that's absurd. No. I think that, honestly, I'm more in the camp of keep doing what has got you there and what people like um because honestly okay 
I'm gonna have a hot take here. No. The more, in in my personal experience, the more that an artist changes to, you know, go away from what I liked has never, I've never received positively. Really? I've never no. liked, if if I'm a fan of an artist, I've never liked a change in their sound or style more than I liked it before they did that. You think that's a sentiment-based thing? or I don't know if it's a sentiment-based thing. I'm going to find a foil for that. There's got to be one band. That's yeah, <laughs> I mean, none that come into the top of my head. I mean, and obviously it's, it's, it's not evolution. I'm not talking about sure. evolving within, like... If, if it makes sense, even if it sounds completely different, but it makes sense that it's coming from the same artist, and I feel like that is music that has the same feeling, and that I, when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, yes, this is different, but it's still unequivocally this artist. Right. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Maybe I don't like it as much. Maybe I like it more. It's different. But. And there are bands that do that. With this, like, sonically sounds so different, but still feels like to me the story so far has changed a lot of their sound, but keeps the same kind of vibe. Same thing with volumes, like, kind of almost just fun metal kind of vibes. Still heavy, but a little bit more singing, and that kind of thing doesn't really change who the band is. And I wonder if part of that is the commodification, like. You can't just start a side project with your new sound because you would lose, you know, the base fan, you know, that, that listenership that just comes with releasing under the same name. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'll get, I'll give you an example. I think I have had this conversation with you in the past. I, I used to really love Set It Off. Oh yeah. Their first EP, their first album, I really enjoyed. And it was, it was a lot more pop punk and it was a more like more punk in general. And then as they went on, they've released probably three, three albums since that they've gotten more and more pop sound. And then now it's, it's pretty much, you know, pop rock. Um, but I was talking to you about it and I said, I don't like this album as much. It was probably duality or maybe the album that came after that. I said, I don't like it as much, but it still set it off. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm mean, like, I said, I can't really be mad at it because it was trending towards this direction and it makes sense as something that they would do. Like there wasn't any dissonance between that sound and the band. So it wasn't hundredth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate how aggressively they defend that decision too. Yeah. It's and, not even bad music. It's just hey, go on. Yeah. But also if you're a band or artist that radically changes your sound and people complain about it, you do not have the right. <laughs> to tell them that they don't support you mm-hmm. or that, you know, th- I, I really, I, ha- I have seen a lot come out from bands that kind of seem like they're defending themselves against their own fans for changing what they wanted by buying t-shirts or going to shows. Mm-hmm. That means that they support the music that you currently make and that means they want more of that so that if if you stop giving them that it's not their fault that they don't like it and they don't want to keep going to your shows and keep buying your merch so i mean 
you can't really be mad about that either. No. To me, like, again, this is kind of besides the point. Yeah, this is besides the point. You know, you, I, I think the best course of action is just to more or less ignore it or at least be mildly, you know, at least ignore it or if you wanted to go a bit farther, be mildly sympathetic. Because a lot of these bands do get more popular once they change their sound. People are buying more, etc. So it's verified and validated in that way, but there's no reason to isolate your old fans. You know, if you want to retire a song. Yeah. But to, uh, you have one more? Yeah, I'll just, I'll say, I'll never, I'll never criticize a band for selling out. <laughs> I don't believe in that. I don't like unless it's like literally the message. Like if if they're like a huge, uh, I've never seen this, but you know, you know, uh, a pro-choice band that suddenly puts out like an anti-choice oh, sure. anthem, it would be so strange. But yeah, but like I don't know. The biggest example, I don't know, Maroon Five, maybe, <laughs> where they were like a band and they made like their first couple albums were like more indie alternative rock and then now they like they have a team of writers writing their songs for the last decade or something they started out as a band i think that was just what was popular at the time but who knows? yeah maybe either way but i think i think there was a shift to like cognitively yeah trying to make pop music and hiring on people that were pop makers mm-hmm. to do that with but um you know, that's, I don't think that's really a valid criticism if that's what they want to do. And, you know, making more money for your art, if that's something that's achievable and that's something that you can do, do it. I mean, I, it, maybe it's sacrifice um, of your own creativity, but if you're willing to make that and you think it's more worthwhile for yourself and your family and you know your vision of what what you've created should be then i don't think that's there's anything necessarily wrong with that where i'll go to kind of um retrack us i guess where my heart is with the uh the original question is the idea that music has become in in some way cheap, like the accessibility of it reduces its value. And I'm not convinced that that's true, but just anecdotally, I feel like growing up, and even as early as, you know, my my early undergraduate days, and even now I I just go to see shows, you know, live, live shows, concerts at venues I like. Like I'll just go to see whatever's playing on any given night, just to be, just to experience music, or I'll go to the orchestra, the Cleveland Orchestra, and just, I, I won't know what movement's gonna be playing, what artists they're gonna be, uh, what piece they're gonna be playing, but just, just to go and experience music. And I feel like that's not uh, something that happens in American culture very much anymore. People just don't go out to see any show. They A lot of people see shows at the venues I work at just for like the clout of going to the show, like to, you know, Instagram that they went to see this, this popular artist. And that sells a lot of tickets if an artist is just very Instagrammable. Um, so there's that. Uh, but I just, I want to feel like that music has, uh, a, not an, it doesn't even have to be a niche importance, but kind of a ceremonial importance in our lives. Like I just, I never want us to take it for granted, I guess is the easiest way of saying it. And I don't know, do you feel like we're at, we're at risk of that or is that too simple? No. Um, 
because I don't think like everything's taken to granted to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I don't think music will ever lose its importance to the individual. So, I mean, for like the biggest pop stars in the world mean the world to some people. Yeah. So that's the most important thing is our relationship with music. And but is it the stars or their music? Like, is it a cult of personality thing now that it's the people behind the music? Like, do people really? I mean, of course, there's always space for individuality and this kind of niche community builds. Um, but in a general sense with like, is there going to be a, a, a reverence for music as a fact of our lives that we're all kind of stepping to our own AirPod beat or plugged in beat in our case? Um, or is this just like the pop stars and things that, you know, the general public looks up to, they all, you know, get a chance to make music because a label reaches out to them because how many Instagram followers they have and they just are given a song that's written for them. Yeah, but po popular artists still bomb. Like Katy Perry yeah. bombed. And she was pushed heavily. She did the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Everybody loved Katy Perry. She was kind of... Yeah. Warped for star. Yeah, she was, she was shown to be, you know an icon, a, a virtuous person, you know, um, and yeah, people just stopped caring and maybe, maybe they didn't even really care that much in the first place. And that's just kind of the star making machine that comes from Hollywood and the media industry in general. Um, but I think you can see that as an example where stars fade and yes there's always a new star and there's a but i think that's that's a different issue is that someone that people want a star to attach to is yeah. it's, it's it's a issue of identification um rather than um pleasure that you get from music it's a it's a different form of pleasure if we want to get freudian with it <laughs> um but yeah identification is different than um music and music yes you can identify with but i think music is more about how it makes you feel so it, everything else being equal if you're just listening to music in a vacuum i think that it's no different than it has ever been in terms of people's relationship with music it's just the the industry is different and then society is different and that's ever changing and then um you know the people the, the way that people identify with stars changes as well um we're not a lot more connected now and we're um i think we see people less of as an ideal now than 20 30 years ago um just because we're be, we're being able to consume so much different media and content that have been produced that are that's outside of music, 
Um, yeah, I feel like the younger generation has a better eye for like what's real because they see so much of what's fake. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that if if we can consider the industry of star making as an issue in and of itself, and we just look at the volume of music that's being produced and people's relationship with the music that's being produced and released, then I think it's generally positive. Yeah, I want, I want to try and hold space for the idea that this omnipresence can be a positive thing, that music is, is just a fact and an important fact of all of our lives and that there's very few people these days who, you know, have to live a life entirely devoid of music, that there's nobody, you know, outside of the privilege of music and that uh, you can build communities around, even if it is around stardom, uh, you can still build communities around your particular loves of music. And I feel like there's a lot more people that I meet now that have that like, oh, I listen to everything type of vibe, even if they aren't 100% sure what everything is or- Yeah, that, no one listens to anything. Exist. It's impossible to listen to everything. It's even more impossible yeah, to like everything. Yeah, stop saying that. Stop saying that. <laughs> Everyone stop saying that. I understand that it's hard to list out 40 different genres, especially since Spotify creates 40 different new genres every day. But just just say you listen to most things yeah. or something. Or, I mean, it would probably be easier to just list the things that you don't listen to. Oh, I don't even know about that. How many do I... All right, here's the thing. You're in a car with someone. Like, hey, what are you listening to? Play what you're going to play. Yeah. If I don't like it, I'll tell you. Right. We'll just we'll, we'll shift from there. Stop having opinions. <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> just stop having a musical opinion. I think that's I think that's, that's good. Go. Yeah. All right. So just to, just to wrap it up, the cons that we've laid out, we got commodification of music that will forever, I think, be a poor thing. I would love if musicians were able to, you know, not only make a living but to thrive off of the art that they create without having to answer to corporate overlords. Uh, pressure on artists that comes from that commodification and the uh, necessity to live off of their quote-unquote beneficence. Uh, it's annoying that songs, uh, in particular, you know, top 40, very select group of songs are so heavily repeated and regurgitated given how expansive the human library of musicianship is. Like we could be all listening to a new song every second of every day for the rest of our lives and still only hear a fraction of what's been produced, which is a sad but beautiful thing to try and grasp that we'll never have every piece of the puzzle. Uh, I know some people just like listening to songs on repeat. I'm not going to shame you for that. You know, I'm not one of those people. I can't listen to the same song once, not twice in one day. But, uh, you know, if you like to listen to songs on repeat, repeat that's great if it makes you feel good and gives you a feeling but i think we can have a whole other episode on you know what music means to us and what we uh think 
is like a kind of a universal definition of musical feeling. But aside from that, so cons, commodification, pressure on artists, annoying, and the simplification of uh, you know common quote unquote pop music and inter intro genre uh, standardization. And then on the pros, we have creative accessibility, just a love of music in general, and uh, music as a fact of life and space for individuality and niche community building. Did I miss any on either of those? I don't know, probably I wasn't. <laughs> I, I think you covered it. I think the pros probably can just be boiled down to more music equals good. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that was as comprehensive as we're gonna get with it. <laughs> Next time, maybe we'll uh, we'll bring another interlocutor in, interlocutor in, and of course, always feel free to share your opinions with us. Uh, maybe we can have a conversation more specifically about some of these kinds of music and places where we don't always register that it's happening. Would love to hear Walsh give a, a mini presentation to us on different kinds of you know film scores and you know pop music in films and how that kind of changes things up for me it always takes me out of the scene when you know acdc starts playing as opposed to just an orchestral score but yeah maybe a conversation for another time yeah i mean have you seen reservoir dogs i don't think so there's a great all right i'll show you reservoir dogs there's a great scene that just works perfectly with music without um, that specific song it wouldn't have been nearly as good is it like in the in the scene is the song turned on on the radio or something that always helps for me yes it is okay but i can i can pull up a few examples of non-diegetic music all right well with that y'all thanks as always for listening to the pierce poets party just a little quick chat and uh, if you like this conversational format uh, also let us know that because we got a lot of ideas for little chats to have and we can always bring in some fun guests. So until next time, comrades, stay safe, stay sane, and do your very best to live in the extremes. Cheers. <laughs>